Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter number 11. While you are turning there, I will uh, update you all. Some of you have asked about how is life with my kidney stone. It's still there. Uh, I got dehydrated last Sunday and all my get up and uh, this week it let me know it was still there and so knowing the temperature today I was like no get up today y'all so you my parents I know my father's watching right now and he's like he hasn't a coat on he hasn't a tie is he dying I'm it's okay Uh, but I just was not going to get overheated today particularly with the highs forecast the way they are. Luke chapter number 11, would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks today. We give you thanks today that we can be still and know. Cease striving, it says in Hebrew. to just stop. Lord, we pray today that you would help us now to stop, to look upon you, to hear from you. Lord, as has been so much the case in this travel narrative of Luke, We know this text. Help us, Lord. Help us to see it through fresh eyes today. And enable me, Lord, to share it in such a way that it can be seen so. Rest within each of us mightily over these next few minutes that we may draw near to you for we ask this in Jesus name Amen Faith and prayer go hand in hand prayer is the first action of faith we believe on Jesus Christ And we reach out to him through penitent prayer to grant us salvation. When Ananias was instructed by God to go to that street called Straight in Damascus to meet with Paul, he's not told that Paul has converted in the text. He is told Paul is praying. It is a sign that he has come to faith. Faith and prayer are so entwined that because they, uh, they become an integral part of the nomad disciples' identity. So much so that to talk about prayer means to talk about faith. 
Those traveling with Jesus understood this as they sought to be molded into the identity of their teacher. Notice verse number one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. The disciples had seen Jesus so very often in prayer. Indeed, Luke's account of Jesus' life focuses on prayer more than any other account of the Gospels. Luke's Gospel begins with prayer and it ends with prayer. Jesus, in fact, dies while praying according to Luke. And so the disciples wanted their faith to match what they saw in Jesus. They wanted Jesus' faith. And it was only natural then for them to ask him to teach them to pray. The model he offers would do us well to emulate if we are to look more and more like Jesus, which should be our stated goal of each day. However, before we delve into the prayer this morning, I I want us to approach it differently than we would normally. Instead of breaking it down into its disparate parts, I have to believe that Jesus approached this prayer not seeking to break the mold that he has been forming since the travel narrative began. He has been focusing these last few weeks, as we have seen, on the kingdom. And so as he instructs them on faith and prayer, the focus is again on the kingdom. Notice verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day, each day, our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, beloved, before you ask what happened to the prayer that you all know, understand this is Luke's rendering. And yes, it is shorter than Matthew's. And while they are both similar in elements and that both point to a Jewish construction, we must recall that Matthew was written originally to a Jewish audience, while Luke was written to a Gentile audience and hence why there are some differences in how the prayer is given to us. So, how is the prayer Jesus offered kingdom-driven? I realize that he says, your kingdom come, but he does so after saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Beloved, understand something. God does not need us to implore his name to be treated holy. He is holy all by himself. He doesn't need us to show his holiness because he is holy. He doesn't need us to expand on his holiness because he is holy. He does not need our effort in any point of that. When we pray, hallowed be your name, the point is for us to say that all creation understands and seeks to make holy God's name and who he is across the world. How does that occur? 
Well, it means that the whole world then comes to faith. It means that the whole of creation knows who God is and worships him in the fullness of his holiness, that they too can join with the angels that we see in Isaiah and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It would be the day then, for that day can only come when truly his kingdom rests on earth. This is the whole reason why God made himself known to Israel, that they would be a light to be a witness of him to the Gentiles, that they would make his name known and holy throughout the world. It is the point of this travel narrative, as we recall, that, they are to, that the disciples are to go forward and to declare what? The kingdom has come. It is the point of the Christian life, the nomad disciples' life. To go into all the world and make God known so that his name would be hallowed, his name would be holy, and that the kingdom would be seen. Okay, I get that part, you may say, but what does the kingdom have to do with asking for daily bread? Let us recall, beloved, that the kingdom of God is a place where there is no want or need. Recall in Jesus' first sermon in Luke chapter 4 that he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And he begins by saying that he has come to deliver good news to the poor. It's not that he's caught telling them that he's uh, bringing them hope or anything like that. It literally means that he has come to have their needs met. That is good news to the poor, that they're not going to be living in want or suffering anymore. The poor who live in a perpetual state of want, who wonder all the time where their daily bread would come from, Jesus says that through the kingdom, their needs would be met. And so to pray for the kingdom to come, to pray for daily bread to be given, means that the whole world has no want because the kingdom rests in the fullness of its prosperity. And what better example of the kingdom can we seek than to pray for reconciliation as we do in verse number four? And forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We are not here, beloved, praying to be reconciled only to God through the forgiveness of our sins, but we are praying to be reconciled to one another through us forgiving them of the wrongs that they have done to us. Reconciliation, then, at its core, means that there is no war. There is no inflicting of harm on anybody, whether it be through physical or emotional or mental or any other number of distresses. It means essentially that we would live in a world in which reconciliation has taken place across the globe. It would mean that we would live in a world where truly 
Swords can be beaten into plowshares. The lion and the lamb can lay down together. And we study war no more. And beloved, let us pause and understand that if we are praying for bread and for reconciliation, aren't we asking for two of the greatest impediments to service in the kingdom to be removed? Isn't this prayer asking to take care of our essential needs? How is it so often people say, I can't do this because I I don't have this, or I can't do this because I don't have that. In praying for the essential needs to be met, you take away that excuse for service. And in praying for reconciliation to occur, we understand that we are being healed from the hurts that so often accompany Christian service and leave us on the sidelines with our wounds like those of the guy who fell upon thieves on his way to Jericho. Because let us be honest, there is no hurt like church hurt. There is no hurt like church hurt. It causes us to withdraw. It causes us after so long to say, I'm not going to put myself out there to be abused by people who claim that they love God. My friend Mary Lois was the chair of the diaconate at her church when her pastor left to go to a new church. And I ran into her at a funeral a few months afterwards. And she comes up to me and she rubs me on the back. That wasn't unknown. She, she always did that. But as she rubbed me on the back, she said, I can only imagine the number of scars that are on your back. And I said to her, what are you talking about? And she said, well, since the preacher's been gone, until we get an interim, I've sort of been the fill-in in a lot of the normal decision-making. And I've been stabbed so many times, I can only imagine what it's like to be you. Beloved, all of us have scars. All of us have scars. But in praying for the provision of God, we understand that God still provides. In praying for reconciliation between us and God and us and our fellow man, we understand that God still heals. And we should also understand that he also protects, which should likewise provide for us greater freedom to serve and lead us not into temptation he prays. A better translation of this would be that we are not brought into the time of trial. Temptation doesn't make much sense here. Temptation, God would never lead us into temptation because that is enticing us to do evil and God would never do that. God is incapable of doing that. We know that in the book of James. But the time of evil is a time of persecution. When circumstances test and imperil our faith, not only in the kingdom that is being declared, but in the king who reigns over it. Because we ask ourselves, how could he be in charge if we are suffering so much hurt and so much pain at the hands of people far and wide? 
Jesus is about to spend a considerable amount of time instructing the disciples in the verses that will follow about the coming persecution. And so it stands to reason that he would pray here to teach them to pray for his protection against persecution. Why? Because if, if, they are, if he's protecting us, if he's protecting us, that means that our faith cannot be shaken. And isn't that of paramount importance? Isn't that of paramount importance if your faith cannot be shaken in the midst of trial and trouble that you can continue in your service to the king and to his kingdom? But if your faith is shaken in him, are you going to be able to put yourself out there more and more and more? was talking to a friend uh, just a little while ago. And they were talking about how uh, another friend's uh, faith in the medical sciences has been shaken because they haven't been able to figure this stuff out yet with them. But this week they got a, a window in on that and so there was a spark, there was a hope. Faith was beginning to be restored. Beloved, when we pray, Lord, keep us from the time of peril we're praying that he protects us such that our faith in him remains rock solid that we can go serve him even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances because it then is all about the kingdom I recognize this morning that that taking ourselves and and our wants and individual needs out of this prayer and making it into a kingdom focused prayer is a novel concept but let me offer to you one other point about how it points to the kingdom. Did you notice the pronouns? There isn't an I in it. You can't find a me or my, but you know what you can find? Us and ours. It's a communal prayer, which at its heart demands for each person praying it to think beyond themselves, to think beyond their wants, beyond their needs, to think about the greater good. And isn't praying for the greater good something that we have repeatedly seen in this travel narrative as an ethic of a kingdom-driven life? To pray such a prayer then requires us to have big faith, bold faith, a faith that abandons all sense of decorum and dignity. It cannot be a snug faith. It must be expansive. To prove this, Jesus tells a story. Look at me at verse number five. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
Too often we read this text as a parable, excuse me, we read this parable as a proof text to be persistent in prayer. In fact, I have a friend this morning who is preaching that very subject from this text. But that's not what I believe the parable teaches. To persist would mean that the, the neighbor who comes at, the, at midnight would keep banging away. And yet we only find that the neighbor knocks once at the te- in the text. We see, though, that the text states that the guy whose door he knocks at will get out of his bed where he is comfortable, where he is snug, where he may be getting some very good sleep, and will meet his neighbor's need because of his neighbor's impotence. The Greek word there is shamelessness. It is something, beloved, to get up at midnight and go bang on your neighbor's door for bread. And to do so in a community. I think too often we approach this text and we think that that this guy has walked way out in the night and out into some field where his next door neighbor is two miles out to get bread. No, think about it in the sense of community. Think about it in your neighborhood. I tell you about it from our neighborhood. Last night we got home, it was rather late. There were some teenagers out in our neighborhood and we could hear them yelling. And I thought to myself, they better quit before I get ready for bed. If not, Guilford County knows how to get here. Why? Because I didn't want anybody keeping me from sleep. This neighbor is knocking on the door at midnight, and everybody in this community, it's not like they got it's not like they've got their Alexa playing thunderstorm sounds so they can sleep. There is no sounds out here. It is dead quiet except for people sleeping. They don't have the TVs blasting, there's no radios, and yet they hear and they say, I got somebody, can you give me bread? So what's happened? Well, the guy's got to get up because the whole neighborhood knows, will know if he supplies him bread. If he makes his friend look bad by not supplying him bread, they'll also know that the friend is not being in any way, shape, form, or fashion reasonable but is knocking at midnight because they can't look bad either because they have to be able to offer hospitality. Hospitality is very important in this community. It is how you keep uh, your standing in the community. And so everybody's going to look bad. And so the guy has no shame in coming to ask for bread. Takes big gumption to do that at midnight, beloved. Takes big gumption to do that at midnight. And yet Jesus says, this is how you are to pray. You are to pray with big, bold faith. Beloved, is your faith that big and that bold that you would pray prayers for the kingdom like that, that you would pray big prayers for the expansion of God's kingdom? Or is your faith 
too snug. Too snug. Too snug? Yes. You know, one of the things that uh, they have studied in the last uh, year or so is that as society has come out from the pandemic, people's clothes don't fit anymore. Why? Because we all sat home. And what did we do? We watched Dr. Fauci's updates as we ate popcorn. Or ate this or ate that. And what happened? We expanded. That's a different form of kingdom expansion. We expanded. And now what? Some of our clothes are a bit too snug. And you say, well, preacher, there is nothing worse than seeing somebody wearing clothes that are too big for them. I don't want to walk around looking like a fool. I get that. But let me remind you of something this morning. What you are. You know, we've already heard a little bit about this, what you are. But let me remind you of something else that you are. You are a child of God. You come to faith with what kind of faith? Not grown man faith. You come with childlike faith. You receive the kingdom as a little child. And what do you do for children? I can tell you what you do for children. I can tell you what we've done for seven years and we're going to do for the foreseeable future. You buy clothes that they're going to grow into. You let them get more than a couple wears out of them. It looks a little big, but you know what? You know over time they're going to do what? Grow into it. Beloved, this morning your faith has got to be something that you can grow into it. You, you, your prayer life has got to be so big that you can grow into it. And if your prayer life is too snug this morning, beloved, you need to go and get a new fashion sense. Because you are not clothing yourself in the ways of righteousness like you need to. You are not strapping on the realms of faith like you need to. But your faith needs to be big and expansive. If for no other reason than the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray. Have faith in the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. That's going to be a blot of laborers, and that's going to require big faith. And so, beloved, you've got to grow into that. And you say to me this morning, Preacher, how do you put on weight to grow into faith? I'm glad you asked. Verse number 9. And I tell you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The more Holy Spirit we give, beloved, get, the bigger our faith gets.
the stronger we get. It's like taking vitamins. You get bigger and badder and bolder, and it all comes back to you trust. Jesus here is inviting his disciples and is inviting us, the nomad disciples of today, he's inviting us to trust him. To trust him to provide, to trust him to give us the kingdom, to trust him to enable us to do the things that will enable us to do greater service in the kingdom, that the kingdom might expand. We ask, we seek, we knock, trusting him to nourish us, to grow into the big, bad, bold faith he calls each of us to. That becomes our identity. Did you notice what he said? He said, ask and it shall. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Beloved, he's saying, trust me. Trust me. If you were to go to your father and ask for him for, for a fish, would he give you a serpent? No, 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 no. He'll give you what you need. Now, beloved, understand, this isn't asking God to grant you unimaginable uh, fuel mileage. That's not big, bold faith. It could be, but you know. It is saying, Lord, I need to grow into it because I need to serve you more. I need to serve you better because I need to know you more and I need to know you better. And I need to love you more. And that's going to require me to grow into something such that that becomes our identity. And as it does so, it is the hallmark of our faith. I had been at Enfield for about a year when I noticed that there was a, when I would ask people to pray, there was a particular group of people that when I asked them to pray, they prayed in essentially the same way. And it took me a while to figure that out. But that, then I realized something. That those were people who that were in their mid-twenties when the Reverend Felix Arnold came to be pastor at Enfield Baptist Church. And he was pastor there for 28 years. It's a long time. They spent the formative years of their faith hearing Felix pray every Sunday, every Wednesday. They heard, they heard him at bedsides. They heard him at meals. They heard him pray again and again and again and again. And, and the only way I could put it together in my mind was that I never met Felix. Felix was dead long before I got there. But, but Felix had taught them to pray. In fact, I remembered the words of Dr. Will Willeman when I was in seminary. And he said, your job when you pray in front of your congregation every Sunday is to teach them to pray. <laughs> what you pray will enable them to learn how to pray better. When I came to Grove Park four years ago, I really resolved in myself, though I didn't tell anybody at the time, that we were above all else going to be a church 
that prayed. I made that decision to change how we do Wednesday night on my very first Wednesday night. That we weren't going to have five minutes of prayer and call it prayer meeting and then spend the rest of the time doing a Bible study. That we were going to pray. And what were we going to pray for? Well, if you all have ever been listening in on Facebook or in a person or on Zoom, you know what we pray for. We pray for the kingdom. The very first Bible study I did at Grove Park was about the prayers of Paul. Last year, we spent the entire month of August praying. And I know that the prayers of the saints during that time were heard and were worked in their lives because I saw an absolute miracle of God. I saw a Baptist church ratify a new constitution unanimously. I'm going to repeat that. We spent the entire month of August praying, and you all ratified the new constitution unanimously. That doesn't happen. Somebody's going to find a period out of place and vote no for that very reason. I've been a Baptist my whole life. I know that's how it works. But we didn't. Today, we have announced this new prayer initiative. Why? Because we want our faith to be big. Because we know that we serve a big God. And we have a big task to do. And so we need big faith. And we grow into it by trusting Him. And that this would be our identity. So the question is this morning, will you join together to pray big, to believe big, so that the kingdom of God is seen big here at Grove Park? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I ask that today you would be our divine haberdasher. That you would pull out articles of faith that you want us to grow into and that we would readily take them and dress in them and grow into them. Lord, help us not to be too snug because we know that when we're too snug, we go to sleep. We're not easily awakened. But Lord, give us big faith because we know that faith begins with you. It doesn't begin with us, it begins with you. So help us, Lord, to get to where you would have us to be. A kingdom-driven people.
For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.